Hey, I'm Green. And I'm Gort. And this is the KISS Communication Podcast, where we'll be subjecting ourselves to every piece of KISS media ever created. Ever. Um, so, this has been so, a weird week, and like... Before, before you start, <laughs> yeah. before you start, I'd like to officially announce that this is the beginning of Season 2. This, this will is, be Season yeah. 2, Episode 1. We finished, uh, we finished uh, Solo Album September, so I'm, just, I'm declaring it a new season. Yeah, this is the first album that I have done, like, notes for since Destroyer. <laughs> I've been I've been just winging it since Destroyer on, like... <laughs> um, but I really like this album. I had... I was listening to it today, like, I was driving. And I got out, like, at the parking deck, um, like, on campus, and... Yeah. You, you ever, like, get out of your car and you notice, like, that your phone is playing still and you have to, like, you're like, oh, shit, my phone is playing. Like, I thought that happened. I have a, or go ahead. I have a, I have a push-button start and I always forget to turn it off. So, like, I'll open the door and stand up and the music's still playing and I'll be like, oh, right. And then I have to reach over and push the button. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought my phone had started, like, I had clicked some metal playlist because I heard, like, just the most, like, in, like I thought I had clicked on some Nine Inch Nails or something. But it turns out it was just construction. <laughs> like, I legitimate like, they're building a new water tower on campus. They're, like, right <laughs> off of campus. And so at the parking deck, you're, like, level with the water tower, right? And so you could just hear, like, like saw worrying. Or whatever, and I stepped out of my car, and I was just listening to like, I was listening to this album. And I stepped out. I'm like, why did it switch to like? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> person who has only ever listened to Nine Inch Nails. Wow, this construction sure sounds like Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah. I, that happened to me this morning, and I was like, I'm going to mention that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, for a while when I was living in the city, they had a pile driver up the street, and so I'd wake up in the morning to just like, thud, 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 <laughs> thud. And I'd be like, yo, this new Combi Christ album is uh, real, really slapping. Yeah. Oh, do you want to get into the album, like, right into it? Yeah, let's get right into it. I like this album. I do too, yeah. Um, this is probably my favorite so far, actually. So we're coming in, like, after the four. Uh, that was, like, the sort of, like, inter-season like season filler was the four solo albums. Yeah. Right, that's... <laughs> um, it's definitely... Album... Oh, go ahead. This album is a very, like feels like the most coherent album since destroyer i th i think what happened was they did those four solo albums right yeah and they each figured out they each kind of figured out all their strengths and weaknesses and that sort of brought that together as like one cohesive thing yeah yeah and dynasty is what we got like holy shit did we ever yeah um, may 23rd 1979 so like a full year after the solo albums released. Yeah. Because the solo albums were in like February of 78. Yeah. 
So, so there was there was a pretty. I guess they probably went on tour or something, right? Probably, and they were developing yeah. this kind of stuff while they were also yeah. on tour. I bet. Um, let me pull up the genius. Uh, so, is there anything you want to say before we like get in to the album, like specifically about the album uh, no, in general? No, there's some stuff I'll talk about after, but uh, this this album, like genuinely, start to finish, like towards the back of the album, I just didn't write any notes because it was all just consistently good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to get into the first track then? I was made yes. for loving you. Yeah. So, so uh, if you've if you've ever heard a Kiss song in your life, it's probably this one. It's right? this one or rock and roll all night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this song is great. It's it is the best Kiss song. Like it is. In terms of just fair, like, yeah. it's it's one of the the like more recent, just like a banger, you know. Yeah. Just like yeah, a good. Cause like it's a really there's... solid song. Everyone in the band is kind of firing on all cylinders. Um, the it sounds a lot more modern. Like that's that's the thing that really st- stood out to me about this being the intro for the album is that yeah. it is a much more modern sound than the previous albums. It's got well, like um, Paul Stanley had a little bit on like the solo albums, some of that. Yeah, and, and so did and Ace Frehley. Ace Frehley did as well. Yeah. Um, but this is really like, it's a very like journey sort of like that sort of pop rock is, is what it makes me think of. The, the best part of this is at the end, it only repeats the chorus twice and the second chorus is fade out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they seem to have figured out like how to structure and pace the songs too, which is great. Yeah. Um, it's got that little... Do, 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 like the vocalization yeah it's great it's really good the, the guitar like the way in the verses i really like the how the guitar and the vocals kind of play into each other mm-hmm. it's, it's the very percussion does too um very very well actually that's probably why it's hard to notice because it's it's doing everything it's supposed to be doing yeah there's a couple like almost phil collins like like Tones, there's at a, least. <laughs> before the guitar solo, there's like a there's like a bridge, right? There's like a chorus and then a bridge and then the guitar solo. Yeah. Uh, right before the guitar solo, just after that bridge, there's this drum breakdown from Peter Chris that is so far the best drum playing we've heard from Peter Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's some there was some good stuff on his solo album, but this is like this is peak. on this. This whole song is on like a completely different level from what we've been listening to before. It's it's insane. Um, very disco, right? This is their disco album. Kind of. It's there's a lot of be. there's a lot of tracks in here that also feel extremely punk influenced. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But like, this is the disco track at the very least. Yeah, this is this is the this is like the dance track for sure, hundred uh, percent. It's um, written with Desmond Child. He helped write that. Um, but this also, is also like, this is also like lyrically and structurally one of the best dance tracks ever made. Yeah, that's true. That's also true. <laughs> um, there's, 
I mean, I don't have much else to say besides it is one of the best Kiss tracks. Um, yeah. The hook, it's yeah. not very long. It doesn't, like, it's a very good intro song because it doesn't overstay its welcome, though, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it also gives you, like, this complete cohesive picture of what this band is capable of. Yeah. Uh, and it... Coming off of these solo albums, it feels like they're capable of a whole lot more than they were before doing them. Yeah. Apparently, according to Genius, Paul Stanley just said he was hanging out at a lot of studios and he was like, or like a lot of like dance clubs and disco places in New York in the 70s. And yeah. he's like, I could just do this shit. Because um, yep. it's Paul Stanley on bass uh, and. Anton Fig, the drummer from uh, Ace oh, Freely's solo Chris. album. Yeah. It's not Peter it's the, Chris doing the It's the drummer from Ace Freely's solo album. Okay, okay, okay. And then um, Ace on lead guitar. Yeah, there's no Peter Chris on any of this. Okay. Uh, yeah, Studio 54 is used to be a nightclub. Uh, is now a Broadway theater. Yeah. This song has been sampled a lot. Apparently they have... Uh, last year, Studio 54 became a record label. Okay. Like that neo it, it has a has a serious radio station, too. I don't know what any of these songs that actually sample it is, but there's a few of them. It looks like some, like, Euro there's, there's a lot. Stuff. There's a lot of covers, there's a lot of samples, there's a couple of remixes... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a David Hasselhoff did it. Elephant Love Medley by Nicole Kidman featuring Ewan McGregor. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, do you want to go on to Two Thousand Man? Yeah. Um, let's go on to Two Thousand Man. Uh, what, what is your initial reaction to this song? I'm actually quite curious what you think about it. So, 2000 Man, it's, you get a little bit of the punky stuff. Yeah, especially... Right. Like in the riff, it's it's very chuggy. Yeah. Early, early on, like, it feels like it's punk-influenced, and then in the back half, it just kind of morphs into a punk song. So, can I do the thing that I always do, um, where we look at, since we're in 1979 now... We, we look this is at also like, uh, a cover of a Rolling Stones, a cover of a Rolling Stones song. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. So it's like a weird punky cover of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so like you had London is Calling, The Clash, yeah, um, Unknown Pleasures, Joy Division's first album, Talking Heads had a couple albums, like New Wave. There's some New Wave stuff on this album. Like yeah, a little bit, definitely, they, definitely. Um, they channel that a little bit, um, like the. Nat- I, I, I I am very certain by now from what we've listened to from Kiss that they had their ear to the ground with just about everything. Yeah, um, these guys knew like what was going on around them in the in the music world. They had like yeah. a very very deep understanding of that, uh, and then they just kind of just just kind of ignored most of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then also the wall, like the wall came out the same year. And there's a there's some very Roger Waters um, vocals <laughs> on a couple of these tracks. So this this cover of Two Thousand Men, 
um, very punky. Uh, Ace freely lit, which is probably why it sounds so punky because he's yeah he's definitely he's... the guy who had like his ear to the ground with the New York music scene at the time. Yeah. Um, out of everyone in the band. The first song was a big Paul Stanley project, and that's definitely, like, it's disco. It's definitely, like, his wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, this song is a lot more punk-sounding. It's definitely, like, Ace Freely's wheelhouse from what we've heard from him so far. Yeah, this is... I mean, it's that space theme kind of stuff. Yeah. There's some uh, really crazy... Um, there's a there's a section in 2000 man i forget exactly where it is but it's like a break it's like this breakdown where the bass drum is just extremely loud yeah yeah uh that's super cool um yeah it just it it really uh really feels like they they knew what they wanted to do going into this album more so than the previous ones this song is like a little long i think uh, it's a bit long, but it like has like a th- well, it's a cover, of, you know, a Stone song, and also yeah. uh, it has like it's doing it like a thing, so you know it needs a little bit of time to sort of let that breathe. I think. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like. I just like imagining like this being like the year two thousand. Like, I'm a two thousand <laughs> man, and my kids they just don't understand me at all. Like, is this? It was, I guess it was written earlier, but like, oh, bro, I just saw the Matrix. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think I put Grill Pill Dad with post Iraq War Fear, but Iraq War was like later. It wasn't 2000. Yeah, Iraq War was what, like 2003? Yeah. Or three, something like that. I just think, like, you know my wife still respects me, even though I really misuse her. I am having an affair with the random computer. That's, like, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a very Mick Jagger kind of yeah. line, isn't it? Or, or it could be a very, like, Gene Simmons line. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Do you want to move on to Sure Know Something? Yes, let's do that. Um... So this also is very, very uh, groovy, disco-y yeah. Kind of yeah. music. Um, also, you know, very, very Paul Stanley. Uh, who's doing the Anton Fig is doing the drums again on this. Okay. Um, the bass line on this, Gene Simmons just goes nuts. Yeah, he does. He goes crazy. <laughs> this, this song's bass line is amazing. The keyboards are really nice. Yeah. Um, it's just like a really like tight track. Mm-hmm. Uh, the verses are really good. Yeah, it's a it's a tight little disco track. Um, do you want to like dive into the lyrics? Yeah, there's like a the most obvious thing to point out with the lyrics here is like the joke about about Paul Stanley's star eye. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> I've been starry eyed, never satisfied, because he's got the star. He's got the in star eye. in his eye, yeah. Yeah. There, this um, is like the last bit of mask of of the right. They're about to abandon that soon, right? Yeah, I think the next album is uh, unmasked. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see. It is unmasked in nineteen eighty. Yeah. 
So uh, the chorus on this is also great. Yeah. Um, you do hear it a lot. <laughs> you, you hear it a lot, but like, here's the thing, right? I'm fine with them repeating the chorus if the chorus is worth listening to that many times. It wasn't on their previous albums. It totally is on this one. I think so. I think they have like the <laughs> little, because they have like the backing vocals, right? And mm-hmm. the, like Paul Stanley is kind of doing his thing over that, like when they yeah. fade out. And that's really cool. Like reminds me of some of the live stuff. Like it's a little, it's over the top, but I love it. Yeah, this definitely seems like a turning point where they've really figured out what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was the other else? single besides I Was Made for Loving You. Yeah. This was the other single off the album. So they, they dropped like two disco tracks and then people just bought this album not knowing that there's like four punk songs on it. I think that's the, <laughs> yeah, like Paul Stanley just wanted to make the, which like The Wall did the same thing, right? Yeah. The Wall literally did the same thing the same year. It's just well, that, that, was, that was the it, trend at the time. Everybody had to have like a disco track. That's how yeah. you got popular in, in the late 70s. Which, like, man, The Wall is... I know people say The Wall is, like, overrated or whatever, but... I don't know. I think Nostalgia Critic does a great job, personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's But there's, like, the the Roger Waters vocals and everything on... I, like, I would love to do an episode where we just did a deep dive into The Wall or something yeah. like that. Well, that's, like, a big project because there's also the movie, right? Yeah, there is. Um, yeah. That's that. Yeah, we put that behind the Patreon paywall. We would, yeah, definitely premium content. I can guarantee you it will be more interesting than a t- nostalgia critic's take on the wall. It sure will, because we'll probably <laughs> talk about Yu Gi Oh a lot more. Yeah, like throughout. Um, have you ever heard, uh, speaking of, speaking of anime shit for a second, um, uh-huh. uh, have you ever read the interview with, uh, Tite Kubo, the, the Bleach mangaka about, uh, how he, he imagined in his head that every character would have their own theme song? No, I haven't. Do you know, <laughs> you know what that. he said? He didn't, he didn't say what all of them were, but he did say what he thought Ichigo should be, uh, which is, uh. News from the Front by Bad Religion. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Dude, I've been really wanting to... Like, I've been watching Ranma one half. Yeah. And I've been really wanting to get... Like, I watched this uh, YouTube video about just, like, old, like, anime OVAs. And I just really want to get into some, like, crusty old shit again. I've uh, I've been looking into like the technical concepts of like Japanese animation and what makes it uh, distinct from from a lot of Western animation, even Western animation that tries to sort of uh, crib the conceptual designs of Japanese animation. And the yeah. the the biggest thing, and this is something that I think Castlevania figured out a little bit, but for the most part, like just the way we storyboard and everything, it it, it just doesn't work out. Uh, which is the concept of sakuga do you you know what that is like animation for animation's sake yeah just going completely crazy to emphasize uh, a specific scene so like it'll be animated at like a way higher frame rate with way more detail and yeah uh, extremely exaggerated and yeah yeah um 
so the problem the problem that western animation has when they try to do this is that western animation already kind of stays on model most of the time yeah um so what you wind up with is you get this really immaculate detailed scene but everything still looks the way it normally does see i watched this video that was also talking about some of that like in the in the 70s because there was it was the guy who did he was an animator at disney and he he was the guy who introduced john lassiter to like ghibli films because he was like a uh he was like really into like chinese animation too which was very different at the time but like i watched this video about how like because he was the guy who did like aeon flux yeah right and and so like of how like disney letting him go um was like one of the worst things they ever could have done because he really like understood like some of that and he talked about um this director from the 70s who used like a lot of like like brought to attention the fact that it was a drawing like it wasn't even the animation but like the way like like early gundam is very much like that to where it's like it's not trying to hide the fact that it's an animation yeah and they talked about how disney like a lot of Disney movies and also like a lot of Ghibli movies because they cribbed from Disney do have that over animation in the characters to like have that more sort of filmic take, but it like then relies less on like the actual drawing and like the, yeah, and, the, and the figure. So they, yeah, there's, the, there's that spectrum in Eastern animation that we don't mm-hmm. really have here either. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing about that, right. Cause you touched on it, but, uh, when everything has that like detailed filmic look to it, then it's really, really hard to emphasize things. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that, that Japanese animation for the most part seems to get is that, uh, it doesn't always have to look amazing. It just has to look good enough. And then when you want to do something really cool, you make it look amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why like every Ghibli like character has the same face. Yeah. You know, it's, but it's like, they rely on their character animation to tell a lot of stuff, especially in that like nineties, like Totoro through Mononoke, like all of that, like peak Ghibli is very expressive in extremely. Yeah. And and there's like a more subtle way than something like a studio trigger that has that super explosive. So really, really heavily stylized look. yeah. Yeah. And I think, there's like there is like more that spectrum is broader in japanese animation at least did you see uh the 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 shorts studio trigger did for that star wars thing no i haven't watched them yet i've been meaning to watch them with a friend of mine um oh but i've i've been my dad watched them and he told me they were awesome so are you like uh are you like crinkling like bubble wrap or something i'm I'm hearing like a little I was messing with a pop tart wrapper. Oh yeah, my bad. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, and I think you touched on something there too with like with like Eon Flux and some other '90s animation. I think of like the HBO Spawn series a lot as like a really good example yeah. where they were kind of getting close to that idea of of how to emphasize things in that really appealing way that anime does. Yeah. But it was also, like, Aeon Flux had a very, like, Western comic book, like, art style. Yeah, but if you look at, um, look at scenes that are emphasized in Aeon Flux, and you'll see that, like, the 
the environment detail and like mechanical detail and stuff just like skyrockets. Yeah, yeah, and I really what I'm saying is like I really like that combined with like the character design of a sort of like like Spawn in the yeah. same way, like those sort of '90s character designs, like like they it works they, really really well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, next track, "Dirty Living." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the the composition of the intro on this is kind of cool. Like just the general melody of the song in general is yeah. uh, neat. So this um, is the only song with Peter Chris. Yeah. On the album, even though he's credited as the drummer, they like something happened where he didn't get credit. Like he did one, he had to like step out because he had like surgery or something. Yeah. Well, apparently Peter Chris helped write this song, which is probably why he's on it. Um. Yeah. Oh, they just decided that his drumming was substandard. That's yeah. why. And also, uh, <laughs> that's rough. I mean, feels bad. Feels bad. Um, this is also a song that Peter Chris wrote with Stan Penridge when they were in a pre-Kiss band. He wrote Beth. Like you can't tell him his drumming is substandard. <laughs> He's got to sing too. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, this song and Genius points this out too is the song has some similarities to Black Diamond. Yeah, it um, does. What is this song about? Like, just being being a dirty just, dude. It's, it's just about vibing, I think. Like, just kind of like letting off steam. You Living know, in life the is, city. Life is shitty, and you gotta like find an outlet. And so his outlet yeah. is. Uh, music i guess yeah well, he makes his living out on the streets waiting for the darkness to blind the heat like i thought this was like a gigolo song yeah but then the second half goes into like a different direction right yeah it is yeah <laughs> the song is a little all over the place which is fine it's still good um yeah. it's got some really really interesting uh, sort of multi-layered guitar and bassline stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah, kind of they kind of like weave in there. and out of each other. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think even like the the least lyrically interesting tracks on this album, of which this this honestly is one of them, um, are still like musically like really really interesting. Yeah. And if this is like the, at least you know, and, it, and if this is like the baseline for how lyrically interesting this album is, this is still better than most of their previous discography. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's the first half of the album. Dirty, dirty living is the closing of side one. Yeah. And then we open on the next side with charisma. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is apparently loosely based on a Wicked Lester song. Really? Uh, this okay. Is, yeah, this is a Gene Simmons joint. So, um, obviously the bass kind of goes nuts on this because it's it's Gene, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the vocal delivery on this is like the coolest stuff we've had out of Gene Simmons so far. Yeah, it's very. This is the one I wrote that this gave me like Gene Simmons like trying to approach like Roger Waters like Pink Floyd Wall era vocals. A little bit, yeah. It feels like it. Um, and there's something like, 
Towards the end, there's this really deep backup vocal. I'm assuming it's also Gene Simmons that's yeah. just been sampled. Um, and it, it it sounds really, really cool because you have like Gene kind of doing like a more loose uh, sort of standard musical delivery. And then there's like a more restrained, deep backup vocal behind it. Yeah. This is a fun song. This is like the one of the best Gene Simmons songs we've had in a while. I think I, I feel like every single song on this album is like some of the best of each of these artists in general. Yeah, it is um, like dirty living is maybe not the best Peter Chris song, but it's, it's still up there. Peter Chris put out a banger album and then didn't do anything on this one though. <laughs> like his, his and Ace Freely solo album albums were great. And then yeah, like, uh, do you want to go on to magic touch? Yeah, let's do it. So again, we've got another cool bass line. Mm-hmm. This one's a Paul Stanley song, but uh, Gene is clearly flexing on this. Yeah, this is very... This is like... This sounds like a Foreigner or like a like a Journey track. Like yeah, I was thinking that too. That's the direction yeah. that, that Paul Stanley is kind of going. Yeah, it's, it's sort of pushing beyond disco and going into that sort of uh 80s pop rock sound a little bit right yeah and like early on too really early really really early yeah 79 yeah um, so like because the first journey album was like and it was like the early 80s i think yeah like journey as people know it is like 79 81 yeah it's some like really early like psychedelic stuff but so this is like even more of like a much more contemporary kiss. Um, yeah, yeah. You know they're starting they're starting to hit a stride that's different from their earlier stuff, um, but also like very 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 cohesive and polished. Yeah, I wrote that uh, in my notes that this song is the perfect distillation of the sad horny man that Paul Stanley has decided to present to us as his persona. <laughs> No, he's starstruck. He just can't. He just he just can't uh, can't get it. Yeah, this is like I also put that this is the most '80s album of this album from '79, or the most '80s track on this album from 1979. It feels like yeah, but it's still like uh, I, I think this song is really interesting because it shows us a through line of disco to the pop rock of the '80s. Yeah, like the. What's the Someday Love Will Find You, that Journey song? Like the mm-hmm. early, that one has, that one is very similar to I Was Made for Loving You. Like they're yeah. all, they all kind of have, that one's a little more disco, but. Yeah. And like, I, I you know, the, the whole disco died thing, but like the influence, I think people, I think people really understate the influence of disco on the music that came after it. Um, because like, look at, like the rise of pop music in the eighties and look at what a lot of that is based on. Yeah. And you then know, even go into... listen, go listen to like thriller. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I've been listening to um, like a lot of drum and bass recently, like this past week. And that yeah, all came but... from like house, which came from like disco disco stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of uh, drum and bass recently too. I've been listening to those atmosphere, uh, collections yeah. yeah yeah on youtube yeah they're like really um, like chill like liquid drum and bass stuff 
Yeah, it's it's almost uh, it's kind of got like some of that ambient breakbeat vibe to it a little bit. Yeah, like some Apex yeah. Twin. Yeah. And then like, well, I came to that because I was like listening to like Ridge Racer soundtracks. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then I, I went, <laughs> I I went into a Discord server and I was like, can anybody give me music that sounds like this Ridge Racer music, but is like not video game music? And people were yeah, like, that, yeah, here's a bajillion YouTube like recommendations. That Ridge Racer 4 soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Ridge Racer 5's with Boom Boom Satellites is pretty good too, but the Ridge Racer 4 one is, is fucking amazing. And then I also got, I, I was listening to that Plant album again this week. Yeah. The yeah, Mark I come Garcins. back to that. Since you showed me that, I come back to it pretty often because it is like you a should... pretty good synth album. You should check out some of his other stuff because he has a band called like Ataraxia, which is like a little more like, like they have a couple songs that sound like a loop on the third opening, but just with analog synths and are a little more like, and they have, they have been, like the wizard and the prophet or whatever, you know? Yeah, I've been looking at some of that too. It's neat. Um, but we, uh, we got... Magic touch. <laughs> we kind of got distracted there. Yeah, so I, I'm basically... I've said everything I want to say about magic touch. Uh, Alright, so you want to move on to Hard Times, which is an Ace yep. Freely track, right? Yep, it is an Ace Freely track. It's New York, right? Very New York City, uh, street-level, life on, life on the New York streets kind of song. Is Ace Freely um, the New York version of, like, Bruce Springsteen? Maybe. He could have had the potential to be. I don't think he ever fully realized it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, a, a lot of his music is really interesting because it's, like, very rooted in a specific point in time and a specific lifestyle within a specific place on the planet. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. This is like, I wrote that this was a song about Fredophobia, <laughs> of just like anti-Italian discrimination. Uh, this seems to be like mostly about um, like hustling and just just kind yeah. of being like a lower middle class to poor person in New York. Yeah. Um. Very like urban lifestyle kind of track. Uh, you can see the through line even to, you know, New York. Uh, this is like the exact same subject matter that turned New York into like the the birthplace of hip hop music. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, New York state of mind. Like this is this is the the Warriors to yeah like Biggie Smalls's boys in the hood <laughs> even though boys in the hood is about the west coast but don't, don't worry about that part um no but, but yeah it's, it uh, is yeah yeah because like in the 70s you did have like like the pusher man or like with some other song like um like curtis mayfield a lot of stuff that like kanye kind of samples and some of that like soul yeah. in the 70s that that hit some of that and got developed into like the mean streets whatever yeah, because there was there was like a point in time where like hip hop was just like a weird 
sort of uh, offshoot of like soul and R&B, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening to to Regulators, the the Warren G song last week or this past yeah. week. Like that song, I like the G funk stuff. Like, there's something that's very interesting about that. I know that's not New York, but yeah, but yeah, even like some of that early stuff. You, you know, if you want to talk about like uh, Grandmaster Flash or um, a tribe called Quest. Yeah, it's all it's all very much like still tied to the DNA of like the soul and like the um, and the R and B and yeah, yeah, you can really really feel it in that stuff, especially the early on. Um, Marvin Gaye like basically changed pop, like you can say that you know like yeah for a certain like audience. Do you want to yeah. go on to X ray eyes? Um. Let me see. Do I have anything else I want to say about this? Um, no. Let's uh, let's go on to X-ray eyes. Um, I was vibing so hard to this that I basically didn't write notes for it. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, song, this one's this, this one's punkier too, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And th- but this is a um, this is a Gene Simmons joint. Yeah. It has that like big winding riff at the beginning. Right, that's I imagine Ace Freely. Like, it's not even really a riff; it's just like an intro. Yeah. Um. It's got that same sort of Gene Simmons vocals as um, what was the other one? Two Thousand Man? No. No, Two Thousand Man wasn't it. Charisma, it was, Charisma, Charisma. Yeah, other. yeah, it this does one. sound like. I I like that Gene Simmons is doing something different with the vocal excuse me with the vocal delivery on this album if he um, if he had like a solo album that was like a prog rock album with him like delivering epic lines in this sort of like vocal style like yeah. that would have been a much better solo album than whatever he did yeah than what we got for sure um so there's a there's another thing that's neat about this which is uh, gene simmons is playing around with the synthesizer a little bit yeah um, <laughs> which is something he did on a solo album as well yeah, he did. Yeah, him and yep. Ace Freely both did. Yeah. And uh, well, Ace Ace messed around with the guitar synth, right? Yeah. So he could yeah. just plug in a guitar and riff and have weird sounds come out of it. Whereas Gene was like definitely just playing more with like a like a, <clears throat> like turning like a dedicated. Knobs. Yeah, it was like turning knobs and like poking at the keyboard and messing around with like a full synthesizer. Yeah, um, I can see Gene Simmons doing that. Look at his face yeah. on this cover, like. Yeah, do you know why his face looks like looks like it does on this was, cover? Did he was he not ready to take the picture, and they kept no, it because the, it just looked these these faces are from a photo shoot where they were all in like straight jackets and he was pretending to be crazy. Okay. Yeah. And they were all, but the rest of them are all just like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's got X-ray eyes. That's why they're bugging out mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so that photo shoot was by Dennis Woolock, who designed most of the Kiss album covers. Okay. Yeah. Like, probably the dude that put him in the suits for Dress to Kill. <laughs> probably. So here's the, uh, here, I'll send you one of the pictures from the, from the photo shoot. There's a couple different ones. Uh, but yeah, for some reason on this version of the cover, there's two versions of the cover, right? There's this version where it's been edited down to just their faces, so you can't tell that they're in straight jackets for the photo shoot. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another cover. 
uh, this one right here. Oh, okay. That would be like what's on the inside of the album, or something. Uh, I think th- like... I think this is I think this is just an alternate cover. Um, okay. And then here's here's the here's the shot of the faces that they used for the final version of the cover. I think. Yeah. They got some some hair, man. Yeah, well, it was it was late seventies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So X Ray Eyes has this like, I don't know if it's in like the chorus or no, it's in like the the verse. It's got this like like bouncy piano that's very like talking yeah. heads. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Which is strange, you know. But um. Ace Freely like solos on this like and it's one of the best ones like since his solo album. It's probably like my favorite Ace Freely yeah. solo on that, this album. That bouncier uh, piano stuff also almost sounds like if you were to replace it with a synthesizer, it would sound like early '80s European disco a little bit. It would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which speaking of, there's like Sonic the Hedgehog noises. Yeah, it's like an FM. It's probably that Yamaha FM synth. I think it came out in the late seventies. Probably, um, yeah. But it, it's literally like the the Sonic the Hedgehog, like classic, like zoom no, noise. It's not that synth because that one came out in like eighty three. It's close enough that it like. Close enough. Well, I mean, you make a waveform, it's going to sound like a waveform, right? A waveform, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about X-ray eyes? Uh, not. I, I think like the fascination with X-ray eyes is just like a weird concept for a song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I get what they're going for. It's very like, Gene Simmons. It's very very Gene Simmons. It's, it's like, not- hey, I'm, I've got this weird superpower because I'm the god of thunder and rock and roll. You know, it. There's I'm watching you. Like he's got <laughs> X-ray eyes. Yeah. To watch you. Yeah, you ever play that? Uh, you ever play that mini game in Killer Is Dead? No. Oh well, there's uh, in Killer Is Dead. There's these. Uh, yeah, let me just send you the. I didn't play Killer Is Dead. I don't think. Okay. No, I haven't played that yet. So in Killer Is Dead, to unlock. Uh, to unlock new guns for your gun arm, uh, you have to go on dates with these women and then like sneak peeks at their at their like breasts and ass when they're not looking. And so there's a DLC for it that gives you X-ray glasses so you can look at their underwear. Oh, <laughs> oh, there's a there's like a blood pressure meter. Yeah, for your boner. <laughs> And it fills all the way up to your brain. <laughs> but this is like this is like monkey see like neuron activation. <laughs> what the fuck is this? You really should play this game. It's really something. Um, the Steam version comes with all the DLC standard, uh, okay. so you, you automatically start with the X-ray glasses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the last track, Save Your Love? Yeah. 
Okay. Let's get into this one. Uh, they just kind of go <laughs> ballistic. They all just they all just go nuts on this last track. It's great. They do. It's it's yeah. it's a little drawn out, like when they're playing like the same kind of riffs for a while. But it's no, it's very good. Very very good. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, this isn't Peter Chris. It's I'm pretty sure it's the studio drummer on this. And uh, oh yeah, Anton Fig. Yeah, he's going nuts. He's the drumline on this song is crazy. It goes all it over is, the place. Yeah. This song uh, goes it brings hard. in like wood wood blocks and cowbells and all kinds of stuff comes in on this song. Um, he must have been sweating up a storm playing these drums for the song. Yeah, no, I bet. <laughs> um, I don't have anything to really say about it besides like. So it's a pretty Greeley song. It's it hits that closer. They're just fucking rocking, you know. It's a really really good way to close off the album for sure. I really yeah. like it. This song sounds like what Gene Simmons' face looks like on the album cover. Yeah. So I'm uh I'm just looking at Genius here, um, just because I'm looking at the lyrics and there's like an article here about MGK. What's what's he doing now? Does he still rap? I don't get those because I have ad block on on Genius, and those are considered ads. Oh, my ad block doesn't catch those for some reason. Yeah, I don't. Mine does. So, <laughs> uh, what's going on? What's MGK up to? You're a zoomer, he's, you know. He's making like pop punk and dating Megan Fox. That that sounds uh, terrible. He uh, apparently his pop punk is a lot better than his like hip hop is. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's you can only go up, right? He got like a shout out from Dave Grohl. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. But he's also like, I don't know, like <laughs> he's he's wearing like a full like he's wearing like striped pants and a fishnet like top, and he looks like fucking. Like, he's hitting that, like, early 2000s Brendan Yuri mixed with just, like, Zoomer fucking... I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe Machine Gun Kelly. It's like if... It's like if there was, like, a bad... Like, a really shitty pop-punk band. But, like... Like, take Fall Out Boy and what if they were from Michigan? Oh, God. Right? Because I think he's from Michigan. He's, like... Yeah. If you like threw Pete Davidson into 2000 and told him to like make a band because like My Chemical Romance is popular. But he's also like all pink and like, like that's the zoomer part is Machine Gun Kelly is like very, he's very this bright. Is- this whole image is like so different from what he, what he was doing with his like rapping stuff. It's he so was, weird. Yeah. like i consider machine gun kelly to be like he used he's gone further away from tom mcdonald which is good but he's still in like the eminem yellow wolf area he's just like (laughs) it's 
He's got. I'm looking at his Twitter, and he's got like something talking about like Dave Grohl telling him a story about Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I just sent you that tweet. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's such. It's so fake. Like it feels like such an amalgam of like so many things that it just can't be real. Because it's like yeah. you look at the you look at this guy. Like you ever listen to the band Turnstile? Uh, no. They're like a hardcore band, but they're like kind of new and they're very like zoomery and they have like appeal to indie pop. But like, look at these guys. And this is kind of who I feel like Machine Gun Kelly wishes he could be. Like, he could write, like, to be like a cool, like, Frank Ocean indie, but also like do rock. Yeah. And that's what like Turnstile actually is because they're actually cool. But yeah, if you like weird, like, hardcore that turns into, like, dream pop and then back into something you can, like, two-step to, you know? Like... <laughs> yeah, that seems, Turn- that seems interesting. Turnstiles is, like, super cool. Like, I've, I've been having to play them on the campus radio, but there's only one song that we really play on the campus radio, and it's, like, their poppiest one. And it still yeah. has this, like, 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 very Fugazi, like, sort of, like, groovy hardcore vibe to it. That's cool. Yeah, I'll probably check this out then. Um, I'm sure uh, Frito knows about Turnstile. <laughs> probably, yeah. Uh, yeah, he really likes Fugazi, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I could do a whole... I think I would like to do a whole punk rock podcast with Frito, where, like, we just review a different, like, old punk rock band. Yeah. Every week. Like, that would be cool to do for a while. Yeah. That's the next. That's the next uh, show uh, for the Kiss Communication podcast. Yeah, because like you can generally like a lot of those old punk bands like didn't have a lot of albums, so you can generally just get a vibe of. Yeah, Joy Division has like one album, right? Yeah, like Misfits do, and then they have a bunch of like recordings, right? They were all like studio released in, in a compilation, yeah. um, and the same thing with like Bauhaus um, and some of that weirder like post punk stuff but like you there's really like unless you're doing like bad religion or like a band that just like stayed around like you can do a spotlight on one of those bands and get a pretty good idea you know of like (laughs) yeah like minor threat which became fugazi it's like the same guys yeah uh what else have you been up to this last week um, I've been playing Donkey Kong for the Game Boy. Oh yeah, that's like a totally different game, right? Uh, so it starts off as like, it's a bait and switch, where it starts off like you play just like the first levels of Donkey Kong. And it's like just a slightly upgraded version of the original arcade game. And then yeah. you just keep going like past the world and there's 99 like one screen puzzle platformer levels. And so it it they didn't and they didn't advertise this it doesn't even say that on the back of the box like so there's like just an entire game packed in behind donkey kong yeah that is like jumping around barrels and like solving puzzles it's a little more like donkey kong jr yeah right because you're not as like like they're all one screen it later became the uh donkey kong and uh mario versus donkey kong series yeah, because that was like a handheld focus series, right? Yeah, and but those didn't really 
those never reach this level of of quality again. Like after this, though, yeah. in terms of just being like real a really solid. There's no scrolling or anything, so like all the um, all the stages are just these really solid. Like I think there is maybe a little bit of scrolling, but these very solid, I, just well, like yeah, one I screen. Think, I think you would. I think you'd have to have like some for the Game Boy screen, right? Because it's so small. No, but most of the levels are packed like on a Game Boy screen. That's really impressive. Like within li- within one screen, like. I sent you an image of, like... Oh, they, like, really squeezed it in there. Yeah, like, so a lot of stuff kind of, like, blends in with oh, the background. Is this is this, is this running on, like, Super Game Boy? This is the Super Game Boy, which is how I've been playing yeah. it. That's um, probably why it has a bit more screen space, right? Well, no, but, like, all of that is border, because Super Game Boy, like, has the same aspect ratio it just has added borders of like well doesn't doesn't it add colors and like a little bit more um detail too um there are some games that it does and some games that don't so this one like had a border that was built in but didn't really like it's the same like there are some games that had a a full like uh because the Game Boy is smaller than 4x9 or whatever, like, TVs were, back, like, CRT. 4x3. Yeah. Like, the Game Boy aspect ratio is smaller than that. So, okay. um, like, some games were brought to full 4x3 that were made after the Super Game Boy was released. But this was a launch title for the Game Boy. Okay. This okay. was, like, um, the guy who d- the designed the Game Boy, um, the, like... He designed like all the kind of hardware stuff at Nintendo for a while. I can't remember his name, but um, I mean, yeah, the Super Game Boy is like a really impressive piece of hardware because it had to work. It had to have like a bunch of features that correspond to individual games that already existed in the Game Boy library, and then also have them for games that came out after, right? Yeah, but um, this was like Gunpei Yokoi's like last project was like. Not last projects, he did Virtual Boy, but it was one of, like, he designed um, the Game Boy, and then this game was, like, sort of designed from the team beneath him that was, like, working on creating the Game Boy. Okay. Um, so, like, they knew the hardware better than basically anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, and this was, this was like, the little, this was the launch, um, or, like, right after launch, because there was Super Mario Land and then this after launch okay um but i haven't i haven't gotten like too far into it but it's just like i play it like one level at a time and you get like you just go through these little screen like puzzle platformer it's really cool um it's the the coolest thing about it is the fact that it does like a bait and switch right yeah and then yeah, you go it's through just like a whole a whole entire game after that. Yeah, so like you go through um like the first all the levels of the original Donkey Kong and then at the end um like Donkey Kong runs away again and you get taken to a world map, the first one on like the top left that I I sent you. And these are all okay. the world maps. So there's like a city, a forest, a pirate ship, a jungle, a desert 
a like World War II bomber airplane, the North Pole, like some ancient ruins, and then a Donkey Kong tower. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and each one of these has a different gimmick. So like the um the forest is very involved with like you have these little um like pathways that you can create. Like when you hit a block, then you can like create a pathway, like you place a block and pathways like will come out of it. So you're solving puzzles with that. And then there's um, later stuff is more like switch based. And I haven't even gotten to the later, later levels, but um, this and like the Wario Land games are some of the most solid like platformers that Nintendo has ever made. And they all, they ended up on portable consoles. Yeah. Yeah. The Wario Land games. I mean, there's a couple of Wario Land games that did come to home consoles too, right? Like there's, I think one on the Wii, there's um, one on the Wii, and then there's Wario World, which was made by Treasure and is really weird. Yeah. Um, it's like a weird, like, beat-em-up 3D platformer that is not, like, anything quite... It had a really weird ad campaign where, like, they would take out, like, magazine ads of, like, Wario's face photoshopped over, like, bling-era dudes with, like, big Jesus pieces. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, they would, yeah, like, (laughs) and like some of these, like the Wario games, they like really had free reign to just like do whatever with the monster design. Look out Wario's Mackin. Yeah. (laughs) So they just, it just feels like this weird, like B team and Nintendo that just like makes this game out of the scraps. That's what a lot of the WarioWare stuff feels like, just like off the wall character designs and it's very interesting. Yeah, um, the Wario the Wario Land games in particular are um, pretty immaculately designed platformers. They feel really good to play. The yeah. level design is fantastic. They're very they're uh, like share more in common with uh, like a Sonic game. Yeah, they do. They have like a very a very like momentum based pace to them. But also like the level design and having like multiple paths that are not like exits through the level, but you can just like fall and go up between, like move vertically between these different paths. Yeah, and, like and it has like the breakable. It has like the breakable blocks and stuff too. That actually reminds me a lot of. Um, did you ever play Drill Dozer on the GBA? Yes, it was a yeah. Game Freak Game Freak game on the. GBA. Yeah, Drill Dozer is great. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Um, sort of taking that and applying it like even more of a. Uh, like Metroidvania exploration yeah. structure to it, I think. Yeah, and the, uh, the Drill Dozer games are more like straight platformers than Drill Dozer is. Yeah, and the Drill Dozer cartridge had like a rumble motor in it, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, it did, and it would yeah. rumble your entire Game Boy. Yeah, I love yeah, Drill Dozer. Uh, there were some DS games that would use the Drill Dozer cartridge uh, for rumble, and then. Um, uh, then the DSi came out and they got rid of the Game Boy Advance slot. Yeah. But then the Wario Land for the Wii was the one that's like all hand animated. Yeah, yeah, that one that one's like gorgeous, right? Like it has beautiful yeah, cutscenes and it's done yeah. by um Studio IG. Yeah. Production IG. Production IG, that's it. Yeah. And it has like all of the um like even the sprites in game are all like hand animated. Yeah. Like before production like IG are really doing that. Production IG is uh, if you go and look at like the stuff they've worked on, they're they're very much like a work for hire studio, and what they put out depends on how much money you funnel into them. 
We talked about um, this last week. Because uh, yeah. we were talking about those Star Wars um, OVAs. Yeah. Um, and that those were good. But they also did, like... They've done a lot of non, like... They, they, they're, 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 what, they're, what they're capable of scales entirely with the budget, for the most part. Yeah. So if you give them a low budget, they make garbage. And if you give them a really big budget, they make something beautiful. But also, if you give them a low budget, sometimes they make Cromarty High School. Yeah. Um, which was like, I mean, the the original manga is wacky enough as it is that it like kind of benefits from having that. Yeah. But like all the Ghost in the Shell stuff they did was really strong, and still is, you know. Um, a lot of like they did a lot of like old OVAs in the in the nineties. Uh, and yeah. that's some of the I wanted to like get into production IG's earlier stuff when they were like those OVAs had like big budgets too, so they came like out pretty well from the, the Arsland stuff with yeah. uh, like the art style by Amano. Yeah. Um. A lot of that stuff is really cool, and then like Fooly Cooly, they did a lot of the animation for that. With Gynax, because Gynax at the time was in a, like a weird place. Yeah, Gynax was uh, not doing the best financially at the time, right? Yeah. Um, Production IG also did that Pokemon Origins OVA. Yeah. That's like the one that that takes place um, or like adapts like the original game like a lot more closer. Yeah, that's the one that's like. Um... A lot more violent than a typical Pokemon anime production, right? Yeah, it is, but it it um, it's just a complete reimagining of it. It has nothing to do with like any of the previous Pokemon anime. Yeah, um, it's it's not violent in more that it's just like these are animals fighting, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like. It's not like a Pokemon gets its head ripped off or whatever, but it is like... That, that, that happens in the fucking Adventures mockups. It does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part where um, uh, Green's Charmeleon, like, slices a fucking Arbok in half, right? <laughs> yeah, no. That shit just happens on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> they did... Production IG did the animated sequence in Kill Bill... Yeah, they did. Yeah, um, that was like a big one, and then they did the new Star Wars stuff, like we talked about last week. They they do a lot of animation for video games too, like Xenogears, every all the Tales series. Yeah, they do. Like we were talking about before, they do a lot of work for higher stuff. Yeah, a lot of the the newer Persona games. Yeah. Um. But Wario Land, we were talking about that. Um, it also had a Wario Land Shake It had a like ad campaign where on YouTube because the game came out like yeah it was a Wii game it was a Wii game right so it was like the early yeah. early days of YouTube yeah. and anytime Wario would shake something in the trailer like the UI would would shake and eventually fall. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was back when that was back when YouTube was allowed to do cool things like that. Yeah, um, exactly. Because they were like big enough, but they weren't like fully bought by they they weren't even bought by Google yet. Yeah, I I think a lot of the um, the actual like 
where you're watching a video UI used to be much better on YouTube, personally. I think the new I think so. There was a point. <laughs> There's I think if you go back far enough it, it gets kinda old. Like YouTube's just been around. Like yeah. the, I wouldn't go back to the old old. No, 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 for sure. But like the um Do you remember like response videos? Do you remember that feature? Yes. Yes, that was weird. We talk about that all the time, though. Like you, we haven't not on air, but you, you've talked about that so many times to me. Yeah. The... YouTube had like a really cool, interesting feature set that would have made it like. At some point, I think they realized that like YouTube, or I, I think the, the thought they had was YouTube shouldn't be a social platform because social media already does that. Um, yeah. You know, and and it sort of pivoted towards being like this this vessel to deliver content where all the social components of it are, are secondary and man is that bland it, it sure is <laughs> like if if response videos still existed we probably wouldn't have people like leafy and keemstar <laughs> in hindsight because those videos because... Would, would ratio like yeah. well not those... only that but like they wouldn't need to make videos collecting the general drama shit because you would just go to the video and you would see the reply videos yeah you know that's that's interesting um so yeah warrior land shake it was developed by Goodfeel, who did um kirby's epic yarn they did all the like street pass stuff on the like 3ds, 3DS. yeah and then they did yoshi's woolly world and the other uh, whatever one for the switch came out yeah so yeah, like the this was pass, the street pass feature was cool. I, I won a lot of uh, I won a lot of Street Fighter Four street pass matches because <laughs> I had the codes from Nintendo Power that got you the platinum statues. That's cool, <laughs> man. I remember that. Uh, Have you been playing so anything? Been, yeah, I've been playing Melty Blood, the new one. Um, okay. Played a bunch of it on Friday. Had a good time. Uh, PC netcode is a little busted right now. And you can tell, like, there was just some issues here and there. But um, still better than delay-based. Yeah, yeah. I've been wanting to get back into Third Strike. Um, Yeah, you should. Because I was playing... So, so like, they had Street Fighter 2 on campus because they had, like, an 80s night. But it was in a Third Strike cabinet. And it was, like... Because you could still see the like third strike. Street Fighter, Street Fighter Two is also right. not an eighties game. Neither of them. Like Street Fighter Two <laughs> wasn't either, right? Street Fighter One, I think, came out in eighty nine, and Street Fighter Two was uh, like the early nineties. It was like ninety one because they did um, their release in between was Final Fight. Yeah. Which is supposed to be Street Fighter Two. Yeah. Um, yeah, because let, let's see here. I was sitting there um, playing Street, like Street God Fighter on Street one, Fighter Two. Street Fighter One was eighty seven, and then Street Fighter okay. Two was ninety one. Yeah. Okay, so there was a significant time in between there, but it was still the nineties. They also had like a Guitar Hero there, like arcade. So I'm not gonna. I don't think they were. <laughs> yeah. And they had like, what whatever, but I I like I like smoke some fools in Street Fighter Two. Yeah. And who's, who's your who's your SF two man? Guile. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I was playing sense. I was playing Guile and I was like, man, I wish I was playing fucking Third Strike and playing Remy. Yeah. 
because Third Strike is just so much more fun of a game to me now. And like, I think you could bring third. I think Third Strike is weird enough and like visually interesting enough that you could bring it in front of, um, like, a bunch of like drunk college kids at a party or something, and like, yeah, it's not, maybe, it's not, it's not too far down the anime hole to like turn people off, right? And it's, I think it's maybe even a little more approachable. Like, it's not as old as Street Fighter Two, and it's not like. Like, people will be like, oh, yeah, Street Fighter. It's still, like, people don't want to play, like, a new Street Fighter. Yeah, well, SF5 like is kind people. of... Yeah, SF5 also kind of has a bad reputation that it... It, honestly, it does deserve, but, you know... SS5... S, Street Fighter Five is um, all over the place, I think. Yeah. There's... Yeah. But that's well, especially now, because it's gone through... It's gone through two... Street Fighter Five has gone through like two distinct phases of uh, production, right? Because there was like the Ono years, which were like seasons one through three or four, and now there's like a completely different team heading it up. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, but I just there's something about the characters too in Third Strike. There's something that's just like. Third Strike was definitely well, like because Street Fighter Three initially wasn't going to be a Street Fighter game, right? Um, it was kind of a last minute decision to put the Street Fighter branding on it and put Ryu in the base version of Street Fighter Three. Yeah, because they thought the branding would pay off, and honestly, it didn't. <laughs> it really didn't. Uh, the first two versions of SF Three really alienated people um, at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I don't think I've ever played like the original version of Street Fighter Three. Third Strike was made by a different team after the first two versions of SF Three. Yeah, yep. But like, you could also see on this cabinet that was there on campus, like the side was not like a. It was painted like the the marquee was like yeah. a classic Street Fighter, but like the side, I could just tell was like because it was the picture of Ryu like standing like in. Um, like silhouette there like in the intro where it flashes yeah and it was just that like yeah. that wasn't what was on like an original street fighter 2 cabinet or any maybe like you could I, I don't it think it was like a, a custom cabinet sf2 didn't have like that um that art style or uh, sf2 i don't think even really had pronounced graphics on the side of the cab in general actually come to think of it sf1 did uh, SF2, I think, just kind of had the logo and, like, some patterns and stuff. Okay, so here is... It was this cabinet. I found it. It's like a refurbished cabinet, but it had Third Strike stickers on it, like, for a moveset. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. Because I think so they just probably, pulled it from, like, a Dave & Buster's that was local. Yeah, it probably had, like, a Third Strike board in it at some point, and then it failed, and they put SF2 in it. Yeah, and it... That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I've also been playing the uh, Halo Infinite beta. Yeah, uh, I meant to get on this weekend, but because it's open now, right? It's it, it's like this weird pseudo open thing on, on Xbox. It's completely open. Where if you have an Xbox, you just go to the Insider app and download it. Um, on PC, if you know someone that has already gotten in it. They have a friend code that they can then give to you and allow you access. Okay. 
Yeah, it's weird. Can can you use um, the different code only once or? Yes. Yeah, I've okay. already given mine out, unfortunately, or I would have given it to you probably. I'll see who I can talk to. Yeah. Well, it closes in about three hours, so. Okay, never mind then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overall, uh, BTB I think is great mostly the vehicle spawns are a little weird i think they need to have like more dedicated so because because of how btb works now what will happen is like a pelican will swoop in and it'll just drop a vehicle on the map and then everyone goes and fights over it right yeah um and there's like a few dedicated vehicle spawns on the map but they take a really long time to respawn and there's not that many of them and that makes btb real tedious because yeah, i bet it does like, because it's 12v12 now and the maps are way bigger so there's just oh, a lot yeah. of like walk to the objective yeah um what have i been playing oh, i told you it was donkey kong that's it yeah. like i've been playing donkey kong and like a little bit of fire emblem last night i played like guilty gear until four in the morning that's cool yeah i beat wolfenstein uh, plus R, I was playing Guilty Gear Plus R. I've been, um, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of like drum and bass stuff, so that's really interesting. Like we were talking about yeah. that earlier. Um, but I've I was been, also. Uh... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I've also been listening to a lot of like '90s hip hop. Like I hit that like. Bombs over Baghdad, like Outcast. Like I've been wanting to listen to that a little more. Yeah, I, I just get that every day because that's just what my like satellite radio is tuned to all the time. Yeah, that's right. You're you're getting that like yep. free satellite, not free, but well, free ish, free asterisk came with a you know a car, right? You bought a yeah. car and it came. <laughs> yeah, I bought a car yeah. and it came with it. Yeah, three yeah. months of, of radio. Um. But, like, I've been listening to Jawbreaker, like, a lot of punk bands. Just, like, I've been trying to, like, listen to as much different shit as possible recently. Yeah. Like, some really, like, slower, like, Sufjan Stevens sort of, like, fall time music as well. Just. Um, I haven't had time to, like, sit down and listen to a lot of music lately. I've just been too busy. Aside from, yeah. like, Mine is... in the car and listening yeah. to, like, classic hip-hop. Mine is usually just in my commute, like walking around campus. I'll try and find, like, I'll listen to, I'll try and listen to like three or four different genres a day. <laughs> yeah. Which is cool to do, I think, but. I've been, uh, I've also it all been comes playing back to Kiss. <laughs> yeah, Dishonored. Yeah. Um, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? Yeah, I've been playing Dishonored 2, and I've reached a point in the game where, for some reason, uh, whenever I attempt any kind of takedown, lethal, non-lethal, stealth, or otherwise, uh, it just crashes the game every single time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, wonderful PC port, Dishonored 2. Uh, recommended. Um, yeah, it's... The technical issues with this game are dramatic. Um, I don't... Like, one of the top reviews on Steam says, Imagine Dishonored, but less optimized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just... I'm just having, like, serious issues with, like, the... The technical side of things with this game. Like, it keeps crashing. It keeps having, like, uh, performance hiccups. 
Um, it's just it's just kind of falling apart at the seams for me, and I'm really not enjoying it. I wanted to enjoy it, like gameplay. The gameplay is fine, and like, yeah. um, I don't get why so many people are into the Clockwork Mansion mission. I didn't find it that impressive, but um, like, it's cool that some stuff like shifts around and whatever. But it it seems like a pretty straight line from where you are to where you need to go. So, um, yeah, I don't really have like a lot of history with those sort of games like those what do they call them like immersive sims yeah i would like to get into them more but i don't know, really know like i feel like i should go start at like deus ex uh i mean it depends on where you want to start you can start um honestly the enhanced edition of system shock one is fine um yeah if you you have a tolerance for crusty old games so you, you can probably get through that i don't um, know like last time i i tried to play both system shock and deus ex and i like I, I did kind of hit a wall with it where I was like, I don't know if I like this. Like, I didn't get very far into it. Deus Ex is a game where you have to, like, look at what all the controls do in the manual because otherwise you won't be able to play it. Okay, so I should, like, pull up a guide. Not even a guide. Just, like, pull up on, like, a second monitor or on your phone or something. Like a PDF of the manual? Uh, pull up a PDF of like the control scheme specifically because remapping it doesn't really do a lot because there's just so many controls that it doesn't matter either way. Okay. Um, but uh, like uh, aim down sights is like a left square bracket. <laughs> yeah. Like fucking so it's, um, receiver. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very. Uh, I haven't played that, but uh, you know, it's it's a very like if you ever played like Arma or even like Daisy. Where yeah. there's like just a whole bunch of buttons on the keyboard that do things. It's uh, very much in that vein. Um, whereas with System Shock, it's a lot more simple. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, do you have anything like Kiss related that you want to talk about? Uh, not really. Um, Next week we've got Unmasked. Unmasked. Yep. Um. Which is, has, like, 1980, like, they're, we're about to get into the, you're, you were right, this is, like, season two, we're about to get into, like, the weird shit. Yeah, we're about to get, that's why I wanted this to be season two. One, because it's after the, the solo albums, and two, because this is such a dramatic change. Yeah. Yeah. Which, they kind of go, like, back and forth between mask, like, face paint on and face paint off. Well, it points. was it was about it was about when they were playing live. They, they yeah. stopped doing the the face paint and the costumes when they were playing live. Um, for marketing, it was like off and on because it was like whatever you do a marketing photo shoot, you just do whatever, right? Yeah, but, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. So I guess like the next, it's just going to be steady albums until the next Alive's. Yeah. So there's Alive 3 in 93 and Kiss Unplugged in 96. So maybe we could do both of those together. Because there, there, there is yeah, like a little gap there. Yeah, and those are those are both um, covering previous songs. Yeah, so yeah. we could do both of those together. But after that, it's like pretty much steady, just like studio albums. Or before yeah, that, so I mean. Probably, so probably what we're going to do is we're going to do season two is the Unmasked Era, and then season three is when they put the face paint back on. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Because um, it might be like middle of season two that they put the face paint back on. 
Maybe. Well, because like Psycho Circus is ninety eight, um, and we're going into like nineteen eighty right now. So I think we'll, I think we'll be fine. I think we can call Psycho Circus the start of season three. Okay, because Psycho Circus is like after that they don't release a lot for a while. Yeah, but there's like. Uh, that's the point where there's like a lot of other kiss media coming out too. Right. So that that's what yeah. maybe season three will be like a little more. Cause you got psycho circus in 98 and then they had sonic boom in 09 and monster in 2012. Yeah. So we will, we will see how that goes. We're, we're we are on the back half now. I yeah. Think, with some, Dynasty. Somehow. With the albums, at least, yeah. There's, there's yeah. obviously, you know, a lot of other media to cover, but. Um, and then, obviously, like, a couple live albums. I want to do the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah I want to do, because yeah. 1978, or, let me look. We're going to do movies, we're going to do comics, um, TV appearances, probably. Um, because what there was a videography, yeah, 1978 Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. We need to do that, yeah, whatever that. I mean, maybe unless it sucks, but no, we'll still do it if it sucks. Like, we could just both watch it. We could do like, like, this is the era though that we're in it, so we need to do it. I feel unless you want to like get to all the non-album stuff later and then start back. Yeah, what I'd like to do is finish the albums first and then do the non-album stuff after that. All right, so then we we start like all the non-album stuff back at like the early as far back as we can go for other media. Yeah. So we might do like TV for a bit or whatever, like starting from the 70s and going on and then I don't know. We'll figure it out. A lot of comic books. It's gonna be a, a very different. It's gonna be a very different podcast when this becomes like a Kiss comic book podcast. Yeah, because there's like the Marvel comics, and then there's the Image stuff after that, right? Yeah, and then and then I think Boom or Dynamite has the Kiss license now, and they're doing comics. So Marvel had it, and then Revolutionary Comics, and then Image, and then Dark Horse, and then Platinum Comics. And then Archie had them for a little bit, and now IDW has it. Okay. And no, I, IDW is bought from IDW by Dynamite, who does like so Dynamite. Vampirella. Yeah, so Dynamite has it. Yeah. Okay, but they've been they've been under a lot. <laughs> yeah, Dynamite does like a lot of licensed comics. We have to start with Howard the Duck, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, yeah so there then there was a couple marvel specials but it really was until they got like later on that they started developing they did like kiss meets the x-men yeah that's gonna be fun (laughs) yeah that is gonna be fun i want to get into that like (laughs) um that sounds exciting Right, yeah. Image Comics is where they did like the Psycho Circus. That's Todd McFarlane. That's yeah. gonna be fun too. 
Um, anything else? Like, I don't really have anything else to talk about, to be honest. I've been watching, I've been busy with school this week. <laughs> uh, I played the demo for Postal Brain Damaged. Okay. <laughs> uh, How was that? The actual, like, movement and shooting is great. The guns feel good. They all have really okay. cool, weird, yeah, satisfying yeah. all fires. Uh, the maps are gigantic. It's really hard to tell where the key cards are. And there's like 300 enemies on every map from the sounds of it. Wow. So th- thanks like, like a uh, lot. Thanks, Serious Sam. Okay, yeah. But, but less taking out giant hordes of enemies and more just navigating the really big environments. Uh, also, there's a bunny hop, so you can get around pretty quick, but it's like you have to explore every nook and cranny to find those key cards, and it's kind of annoying. Yeah, that sounds... I might skip on that one. I, I would say give it a shot, see if you like the gameplay, because the shooting is worth it. It's just really tedious finding the key cards sometimes. Yeah. Um, I also have the Fallen Aces demo downloaded. I need to try that. Um, do you know why this game, Fallen Aces, is taking so long to come out? No. What is Fallen Aces? Uh, Fallen Aces is like this, I guess it's sort of an immersive sim type of deal. I see, uh, set... I've seen this before, yeah. Yeah, so you see all this like comic book style art for like sprites that rotate like in, in eight different directions. Yeah, oh, this is a, so this is like a new blood. This is a new blood joint. Um, okay. But the, it's, all, all of these like sprites are, are, are drawn individually, right? Yeah. Um, from eight different directions, because it's like, it's like Doom where you can view them from different angles. Right. Uh. This guy draws all of this with a mouse. No way. Yeah. Really? That's why this game is taking like forever to come out because all of the art, uh, every single frame of animation, he is drawing with a mouse. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's it's dedication. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a, it's like if an immersive sim, with like, but with, yeah, it's got this like two D hand drawn Doom kind of look where it's like not really three D. Yeah, like the environments are three D, but they're just textured. Mm-hmm. Oh, I watched uh, this video. All those, like he's doing all of the art assets, so like anything. Anything in the game that looks like it's been drawn, like a texture, or like any of the flat objects, that's all drawn with a mouse. That's insane. I don't... Yeah. He's... This dude's nuts. <laughs> uh, there's a... There's a... There's an Easter egg you can find in the demo, apparently, where uh, you walk into a bathroom and there's just this dude, like taking like the most agonizing shit imaginable it's like five minutes of like straight dialogue and it's all voiced by like gianni matragano the the voice acting dude from twitter (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just like like metal gear solid johnny levels of like (laughs) just like oh no i'm shitting like (laughs) (laughs) just shitting yeah um you might have seen that circulating around twitter uh not (laughs) No? Okay, hang on. <laughs> Let me see if I can find the... Because I think he retweeted it. And video games are cool. Video games are cool. 
Oh, hey, speaking of cool stuff, fucking Shin Kamen Rider? Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, so that's getting fast-tracked, and Ultraman is going to take a little bit longer, right? Yeah, that's the... Yeah. At least that's the assumption, because, like... So Shin Ultraman was supposed to come out in 2021. Yeah. Um, But because of COVID, like, the production uh, schedule during 2020 got delayed. Um, right. And so they don't really... That's about all we know, is that... I'm sure... And, I'm sure... Ultraman requires like a lot of like big on location filming and stuff too, so they can set up the environments and stuff for the big monsters. Yeah, um, yeah. Common Rider is a little more, um, yeah, not as huge, right? Um, yeah. In terms of yeah, especially, scale. yeah, because like Shin Ultraman, we know is going to use CG. It's not going to be like you know miniatures like old Ultraman, but right. Um, Th- that means they have to like take a camera and get in a helicopter and do these big sweeping shots of like mountainsides and right that know. someone has to put a monster into later yeah yeah um but they basically released a trailer that was a remake of the original uh intro oh that's cool i haven't seen that yet send that to me um so they released that and then at the very end it showed um the first villain of the original uh common rider yeah the uh i believe they call him man spider okay but um he looks pretty cool too um so let me i'm just pulling it i'm pulling it up on youtube It's it's really funny to me that there was already like a darker, more serious uh, pseudo reboot of Common Rider called Shin Common Rider that called was also Shin like Com- a yeah yeah that was also like a like a theatrical release. It was in the nineties, right? Like yeah yeah it was, and he's like a weird bug mutant man. I mean, technically they all are, but yeah, I hope this is like you know me. I love the Common Rider manga. Like the original, oh my God. The, the the camera work, the music, everything, huh? It's they completely remake the fucking original Common Rider intro. That's, it's it's cool. That's super good. This is like the only thing that that was released though, besides some like press images of like the the actors. So you've. I think we've talked about it before, but you've seen like the part in 3.0 plus 1.0 where it's like deliberately set and shot like a like an Ultraman fight, right? No, I haven't even seen 1.0. I'm, I'm oh. I've never touched anything. Okay, like never mind. I'm not going to talk anymore about it. Okay, cool. <laughs> so have you gotten like you see they do the like writer intro, but then like there's yeah. a part at the end. Yeah, I'm still watching through it. Uh, okay. I do like that the suit has like a bunch more detail on it. Um, like there's like rivets and and like extra little, yeah, tiny details to it. It's it's very like he's got the heel on the boot. Yeah, yeah, he's got the, the he's got the <laughs> really nice boots. Yeah, all right. Yeah, this looks cool. I'm down for it. Yeah, that guy doing the backflip at the end. <laughs> yeah. He's Spider-Man. That's his name. 
I think they call him Man Spider in a lot of the official releases just to like differentiate. Yeah, differentiate because there, there was also, there's also a Spider yeah, right, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. So it's at least in the original manga they called him Spider Man, but there was no hyphen because there was like Spider Man and then there was like a Wolf Man and then like yeah. a a Mantis Man or something. Like Shark Man, like they, it was a theme. It was like Robot Masters. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, that's cool. Um, actually, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a Shin Spider Man either. Um, Shin Spider Man would 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 <laughs> would rock like yeah, so, everyone's uh, shit. How how much do you know about about that uh, Spider Man Tokusatsu? I know that it's very influential on like. Sentai stuff. Extremely, extremely influential. Because yeah, it basically was like the the origin point for like the design of swords and stuff like later with Super Sentai, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also, uh, it, it it kind of influenced a lot of the later common writer stuff too, where the earlier common writer stuff didn't really care that Ultraman did, but common writer didn't really care that much about. Uh, the dual identity of the of the hero it was just like oh yeah of course he's common writer <laughs> yeah you know? it, it didn't really like play with that too much and then um because obviously adapting spider-man means you kind of have to adapt like at least that one core part of his character of the secret identity um it then kind of caught on more with uh with other tokusatsu stuff as well that makes sense yeah yeah because like ultraman did it and like everything else just kind of it's not like they it's not that they they deliberately like avoided it. It's or it's just that it never really came up as like a thing to address. I guess is you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't important. Yep. Well, like a lot of like anime is like, whoa, how am I going to balance being a student and also like fighting crime that everyone knows? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there is. It's either, but I guess like Sailor Moon, she has to keep it a secret too. Yeah, yeah. And like Persona, like they, I don't know, man. Well, Persona, it depends on, Persona usually has like a weird convoluted reason for why it's a secret, right? Like Persona 3, it's like, what is it, like a government agency or something? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and then, uh. Persona 4, they just kind of get sucked into the TV and they're like, well, no one else will believe us if we ever tell them this. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then P5, uh, I think, well, P5, they're they're literally thieves, so. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. P5 is the most, like, um, like, secret uh, identity one. Yeah. I think. So I wanted to ask you, have you, what do you know about the Squid Games? Uh, I've been meaning to watch it. It's that Netflix series, right? Yeah, I, everyone yeah. at least. So just, just to clarify, this is not Splatoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's like weird K drama battle royale. That sounds uh, kind of neat. Yeah, the gist is that they're playing like like Korean like children's like playground games, right? I think I think so. Yeah, but they're like 
they have guns trained on them at all times or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been meaning to check it out. It seems cool. Um... Apparently, like, there's a Roblox thing. Like, I don't know. Everyone, like, like, because it's like a Korean children's game, like, you can play it on, like, internet stuff, like, Roblox or Minecraft. Someone's probably making it in Gary's mode right now. Yeah, and and there's, like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I kind of want to, like, rewatch Battle Royale, just because I love, I want, like, some wild shit like that. You know, I've been, I've been really... I'm going to give you something to check out after the podcast. I think you'll get a kick out of this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we might bring that up next week then, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, Um, Bandai has a 160 model of the injection molding machine that they use to make plastic models. Yeah. Uh, Apparently it's members only content on Adam Savage's tested, so I I would have to pay money to watch a YouTube video. I think my dad has that. You want me to see if he can like download the video? <laughs> I'm not I don't think I'm that interested in watching Adam Savage build a no grade of a of an injection plastic machine. I can just go watch a review somewhere else. It's got like Gundam um, colors. Yeah. Yeah, they all do if you um there's like an area where you can like tour the factory in Yokohama and see like the machines. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they've gotten. I don't know if you saw like the Adam Savage video where he builds like the perfect great unleashed uh, Gundam. No, but I might want to look that up. Uh, the way the way Bandai does injection is like fucking way more advanced than basically anybody else in the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch this like immediately after. I want to yeah. like, and then I'm gonna send it to my dad because this is the type of shit. Basically, like uh, the snap together engineering of of Gunpla is is like just ex- like so far beyond uh, like anything else. Yeah, to to the point where this man who makes props for Hollywood is impressed by how complex the engineering is. Yeah, and of course he like gussied it up with like LEDs and shit. Yeah. <laughs> But yep. yeah, I don't really have anything else to talk about, like topic wise. It's kind of a short. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty much done too for this week. The album's good. Go check it out, everybody. That's Dynasty by Kiss. Yeah, and um, go listen to Megadeth. Fucking rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, what an album. Yep. What an album. I was listening to that earlier this week. I was listening to um, fucking who's the guy? He was in Misfits, Danzig. Yeah, I was listening to some Danzig today because I can always get down with Danzig. I think not like as a person, but like musically. <laughs> He's like a yeah. bad person, I think probably. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't. I can't remember any specific details, but I'm pretty sure he like said something about like fucking cancel culture or whatever like a dumbass 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of these old punk dudes kind of have either I'm not sure if it's like a legitimate thing for all of them, but I think some of them just kind of have like a a really bad misunderstanding of what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, have you ever heard of the guy that fucking replaced Danzig in Misfits after he went and did like Mother and all the stuff with Danzig? No, what, what what's the deal with that? Like they turned into like Michael Graves, yeah, from 1995 to 2000, spelled M-I-C-H-A-L-E, which is not how he was born. He just chose that name, according to Wikipedia. Okay. Um, he's, like, a weird, like, conservative, like, almost, yeah, he's, like, a proud boy. Um, yeah. He was, like, okay. he was, so, and he, he has been, like, like, on the front like line of conservative punk since like the early 2000s of like trying to push trying to just push for like punk like conservatism is punk rock like since uh, 2004 has has he made a punk song uh reciting his five favorite breakfast cereals (laughs) no i don't know if he's (laughs) but yeah he he did misfits from like 95 until 2000 yeah there's like like that that, there's like a really weird intersection of like old punk dudes and hipster shit and proud boys for some reason there's a whole episode of a podcast i listen to called minion death cult where they go really in depth into post 9 11 uh bush era conservative punk rock yeah and it's fascinating because like most of these guys aren't even like doing that shit anymore they've just gone like full proud boy yeah Yeah, because uh, I guess I guess the intersection point is like Gavin McInnes, right? Because he started Vice, which was like a part punk, part hipster magazine, um, and then he also just happened to be like this weird far right dude. Yeah, yeah. So like Nick Rizzuto was the other like conservative punk was a website, yeah, like in the early blogosphere that was like came out as a like like. Fat Mike from NoFX, like, had this, like, punk voter, like, a very politically active, like, blog and website stuff. And so, like, there's, like, this weird rabbit hole of, like, early 2000s. Because, like, now you get, like, people, like, fucking groipers who yeah. are, like, like, yeah, conservatism is punk rock. And it's, like, dude, you look like. like <laughs> and their, their avatar is, like, a fucking Pepe and Joker paint. Right. And you see them in, like, real <laughs> life and they look like fucking, like, frat kids, you know? They are frat. Yeah, of course they're frat. A kids. lot of them are just frat kids, but they're like yeah. wearing their dress like like fucking um what's his name? Not Gavin McInnes is kind of like the wave of that, but who's the other guy? Like is it Richard Spencer? No, he's like he just he just kind of like uh took his bow and got out. Uh, who's the guy? He's got right? like a he's got like a Hispanic name. Nick Fuentes. That's who I'm oh, thinking yeah, of. That dude. Like yeah. that that sort of like shit. Yeah, and Richard Spencer did just like bow out recently. Because, like, he's got a, a court case and his wife fucking left him for, like, being a Nazi piece of shit. Yeah, he's just, he's, I, I mean, I guess there's any time's a good time to reevaluate, but, you know. A little late. I mean, <laughs> I think Richard Spencer is getting, <laughs> getting his one for, like, plenty. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Get your kicks in while he's down. Um, 
Yeah, Gavin McInnes is a really interesting figure because, like, obviously, um, there's, like, the whole... Uh, there's, there's like, a stigma about hipsters where people look at them as, like, these left... center-left urbanite uh, kind of douche-type people, you know? But it's really, like... Uh, upper middle class white people who like just gentrify neighborhoods and yeah. are usually actually pretty right leaning. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, I found it's... this this New York Times article from two thousand four called "A Bush Surprise Fright Wing Support." That's about <laughs> the misfits, dude. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's so weird. Um... Fright wing. Uh, yeah, I think we're good to just just call it here. I don't really have anything else to talk about. Um, yeah, uh, like, don't be a shitty conservative punk. Like, <laughs> he looks like so Michael Graves. He has like the um the fucking um, what like the who's the guy from Nine Inch Nails? So there's uh it turns out there's an entire Dead Kennedys song about uh specifically about this topic. <laughs> about what? Like oh Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah, that's true. He's got the fucking what what is his name from Nine Inch Nails? Trent Reznor hair, like eighties, like pre downward spiral, like black not quite dreads that like Yeah that he had a, at the early part. A, there's a really it, funny verse in Nazi Punk's Fuck Off uh, where they say, in a real Fourth Reich, you'll be the first to go. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's shit, Michael does Graves. That, does that but, ever ring true? Um, yeah. God, like, I hate how that's spelled. He's... he's it's like the, the douchiest possible, like, rearrangement of those letters. This also feels very Michigan to me. Yeah. There's something he's about, a, like... He's got his acoustic guitar and, like, the the camouflage hat. This guy was the lead in The Misfits. Yeah. <laughs> After fucking... What's his name left? Danzig. Uh, Danzig, yeah. Like, first of all, just having to fill that role and second of all, like, filling it this poorly... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure they're making money somehow. Um, otherwise, you know, he wouldn't have a career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go go listen to Minion Death Cults. I think it's on their Patreon feed, which I pay for. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really fucking funny, like to just dive into this weird shit. All right, and my. Uh... My media recommend for this week is going to be... What's it going to be? Rest uh, go, watch, go watch Trailer Park Boys. Trailer Park Boys is good. If you haven't seen it, it's all on Netflix. Um, it's pretty consistently good all the way through, which is impressive for a comedy series. I, I constantly... like I associate you with Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Because you are the my one canadian friend yeah um 
it, it's trail park boys is weird because it's like made by a bunch of people who basically live on the main border so like they're you know they, there's a lot of like american eastern seaboard overlap yeah that's true <clears throat> But yeah, uh, genuinely good show. Um, probably the most narratively interesting comedy series that's ever aired on TV. Uh, like, legitimately, it has, like, season-long storylines with interesting characters that do interesting things to affect those storylines. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, And it's I doing just... that from the get-go. Like, right from the first season. Yeah, there's a lot of, of stuff that trailer park boys like builds up and yeah it's fascinating yeah um it, it's funny because like the, the characters on the like obviously they have enough time to like build up um like deeper components of these characters uh which is really interesting because like on the surface they're already pretty strong personalities which is fun because you get a lot of cool interactions out of them but then as the plot goes on it like actually affects them in meaningful ways uh yeah. Which, you know, normally in like a sitcom, the plot goes on for the course of the episode, then everything kind of goes back to, back to uh, ground zero at the end, right? Yeah. Um, that's that's what not what happens. About, like, Always Sunny does that, right? Yeah. Well, Always but... Sunny does it, but Always Sunny is all about these horrible people getting their comeuppance every episode. Um, yeah. Whereas Trailer Park Boys is like, an episode has ended, and the things that have happened are going to directly affect the next episode. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, it, the... if it wasn't, if it wasn't like so directly like a weird stoner comedy, it would be probably classified as a dramedy. That's true. Yeah. It's, there's a very, like, it's not trying to make you laugh really in certain parts. Yeah. It's just like, well, I mean, it is trying to make you laugh, but, um, but they're not like not... telling jokes. Like you're no. laughing out of, it's very situational comedy which I yeah. guess is sitcom, but like it, it literally is like more from the convolutedness of, of whatever scenario that they've gotten themselves in than like them saying a joke. You know what I mean? Like some, yeah, exactly. Talk. Exactly. Yeah. Even like always sunny is very, like it is very situational, but then like there is so much dialogue that is supposed to be this, like not smart and witty, but is still like cheeky. Yeah, like Trailer Park Boys doesn't have the dialogue feels very just like, oh shit, we have to do something. <laughs> like yeah, most of the time, they're like weird characters, yeah. but they're like they speak like normal people for the most part. Yeah, yeah, because it also yeah. really plays into that documentary stuff more than The Office or anything ever did. Yeah, because when The Office does cutaways, it's it's almost just a vehicles for like characters to voice what's going on with them in the plot of the episode but like season um, one and two of the office really sort of leaned into the cameraman in the same way that trailer park boys does but in trailer park yeah. boys like the cameramen are like will like get shot in the ass yeah. or whatever like yeah it's great like um, they're they're living forces and characters inside the world instead of like a sort of just like in the office where they're just always there and you kind of forget about it yeah, there's like a. What's really funny about Trailer Park Boys is that uh, in universe, like Ricky will be talking to the cameraman about how they can't release the footage for like two years because it could be used as evidence. Yeah. <laughs> or or so it's like it'll be like Ricky's dad just being like, "You got a fucking cameras," like. Yeah. They just like the, like the first season enough. The first season, especially with like Julian. Uh, yeah. Where he'll Wait, be like he sends him into fucking like rob the grocery store. 
Yeah, or he'll like pull up on someone's house and they'll be like, what the fuck is going on? Why is there a camera crew here? Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, like, don't worry about it. It's, uh, I'm helping a friend with the thing. What a what a show. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is like brilliantly written, which is uh, impressive. There might be a point where it jumps the shark, but I'm like six seasons in now and it hasn't happened yet. All right, well, is that the podcast? That's the podcast. Let's call it. All right. That's uh, Dynasty Kiss. Dynasty Kiss. That's next That's week is Unmasked. Woo. New era. New world order. Was Kiss, yeah. was there a wrestling? Like, did they show up in WWE stuff? I feel like. I'm sure they probably did at some point. We'll have the money to... is too big for that not to happen. We'll find out, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, see you next week. <laughs>